Welcome. <laughs> that was bad. So welcome back to Super Politics, guys. Thank you for continually listening. We have an incredible episode today because we are going to talk about the dirtiest word in America. What is it? And poop. it's not mud. It's not poop. <laughs> no. We are talking about Marxism. Ah! Yes. I know you're afraid. I know all you think Marxism is is starving children and starving dogs and violence. But and as and, we're and, going and to and find Trump out arresting today, people and Trump arresting who people. call themselves Marxists and, and Joe Biden being a Marxist as as Trump has called yeah. him. <laughs> yeah, let's just start the whole episode off by clarifying that when we say Marxism, we are not talking about Joe Biden. <laughs> I think that we should just be set up. Right. Well, okay. I think I think we all know that Joe Biden is an anarcho-communist. <laughs> best way to describe he wants a stateless Joe Biden. society. Yeah, he that that's definitely true. Definitely, he, definitely. So yeah, we're going to kind of get into the basics about Marxism, and then we have a, Ben Burgess coming on, who ha, is a philosopher, philosophy professor, and has written extensively about debunking the right's claims on a lot of things. It's going to help us debunk a lot of myths we have with Marxism today. Yeah, uh, Ben Burgess specifically specializes in Marxism. Um, really, he has a great podcast called Give Them an Argument that we are fans of. And he also has a book by the same name. And we'll drop the link in the description. We encourage everyone to pick up a copy. Uh, someone that we really respect his opinion on Marxism. And so we thought how better to have an episode about what this ideology is and what it's not um, and have him uh, kind of debunk some of that with us. So um, we also have yeah, our, uh, our uh, extraordinaire producer, Peter Pants. You can see him if you're watching the video, which we'll put on our Patreon. He's right there with his uh, X-Files poster in the background. Um, yes. I want to believe, it says, and that's in reference to, I want to believe in America. Yeah, sure. Well, <laughs> I am waiting for evidence to uh, support my belief. I'm well, conflicted about, <laughs> well, yeah, but I'm conflicted about X-Files because it is one of my favorite shows. But now that I look back with all the police abolition stuff going on, it's like, man, but he was a cop. See, I'm I'm pro-Agent Mulder because he's like the counterculture within the FBI. He's the guy they have to stick in the basement and give all of like the ludicrous crappy cases because he's so anti-authority within his own structure. Right. Um, so he's I like think an anti-cop. Like, yeah, he is a cop kind of, but his literal job is to like, or what he spends his time doing in any in any case is like finding corruption within the government and all the secrets and all that shit. That's what makes the show so good, you know. Um, so I mean, you don't have to be uh, you don't have to be a cop lover to like X Files. I think it's actually quite the opposite. I would I would stand by that. All right. Well, exactly. You know. And I have a hunch that Ben Burgess is a fan of the X Files. <laughs> well. So we'll have to see about that. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, guys. Yeah. What 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 else is going on in the news today? We we you know Trump has COVID. That's uh, a. I mean, or does he? Well, I was. Gonna, yeah, he has it, guys. Ooh. Come on. Let's stop with this conspiracy right, right. now. Yeah, he has he it. has it. Um, mainly because everyone has it. Who's a Republican? <laughs> When you the Rose when you sign up to register to vote, they give you complimentary COVID. Mm -hmm. Apparently, yeah. Uh, I saw Chris Christie is now in the hospital, so this is this is getting kind of wild. Mm -hmm. I saw Joe Biden with the kind of like sneaky attack, like, "Oh, hey, we're gonna we're gonna pray for you and we're gonna take our negative ads out of you," but he's gonna keep comp uh, campaigning. Which I just kind of thought it was like it was a little tongue in cheek in my personal opinion, Man. like. 
Do you want to know some of the Q conspiracies about it? Oh boy, what do we got? So one of the Q conspiracies <laughs> is that Trump isn't actually in the hospital. Do you want to know where he is? Uh oh, in some he's out base. there. No, he's out there saving the children himself. Personally, Ooh. personally, he's out saving, saving children. Oh saving yeah, the children that are have been getting eaten alive by the deep state. Yeah, this is a fundamental premise of Q. I've mentioned it multiple times on the show and Decatur has been pointing it out to me that I keep repeating it, but the QAnon conspiracy believes that there is a deep state that is like fucking eating children and shit and it's like, or drinking their blood or whatever. It's like an, it's about like sex trafficking and stuff and all this other thing. And so Trump, right. this is the Q conspiracy that he actually isn't sick. He had to it's go like, personally Rambo this shit. So it's like it's like one of three conspiracies that I've seen. Another one is that he's in the hospital to protect himself as the deep state tries to take him out before he before he starts the storm sure. of of arresting all of the deep state Democrats. Sure, sure, sure. So naturally, it's like, well, I, apparently the White House isn't protected enough, right? So let's go to a hospital. <laughs> That's, that seems, I guess, more secure. Wow. I'm not really sure, but uh, yeah. So I guess he moved there for for protection. That is cringy. That's a cringy belief that anyone is saying that to each other. I mean, even if you are a full-on QAnon, you know, supporter, like there is no reason for Trump. Have you seen him walk? Like he has no coordination. The guy is not in good shape and he is not the right guy to send out like Rambo style to go save the kids. Even if you believed in all that, like it's a bad idea. Um, more importantly, like this is just a really wild time for the news. They're calling it the Rose Garden Massacre with all these Republicans ending up with coronavirus. Um, so it's it's just a wild time for the news. So anyway, thought we'd start off with that. But back to the main topic here. What we want to so, do. So democracy is burning in America and your president's in the hospital. Let's talk about Marxism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, and, and, and we're going to release this probably a little bit later. So God knows what development there's going to be since we recorded this. Um, but we're right. recording this right now on October 4th for the record. So it's probably going to be released a bit later. Um, but what we're actually going to do with this episode, what we hope it's helpful. None of us are Mar Marxist experts by any means. We have very introductory knowledge about like, you know, we, 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 I'm sure that everyone had, the point is everyone has different ideas of what Marxism means. Trump has right. one take. Biden probably has another take. We don't really care about their takes. What we're interested in on this episode is what do people who actually call themselves a Marxist or study Marxism like Ben Burgess, what do they think about it? Right. right. There's, and even and, in those groups, there's a million different definitions. Right. And I think it's a it's a good topic for us to, to start at least having the dialogue now, because I think I can comment at least on, from my perspective. It's the first time ever I can really imagine where this has been this much class consciousness and people are really starting to pay attention to, you know, the inequality and a lot of, you know, economics going around in the world. So I think it's a really important yeah. time to be having this, even as we face off with two presidential candidates who have not one single Marxist policy. But. Yeah. And this is something we've been talking on our show since literally the first episode is like this year, especially is time to re-examine the way our society is set up, right? Like why do we have so much wealth in this country and yet such a inability to get that wealth to the people who need them during the pandemic. Marx's kind of specialty was to start off with diagnosing what our society is. And so he was one of the, maybe the leading thinker in what, what is capitalism, right? Like what is it and what's wrong with it, 
right? And so that's kind of Marx's key observation is like our current society, one of them is our current society is set up with, you know, two really major classes is like the have nots being the working class and then the haves being the people who own the shit that is necessary to produce what we need to survive. This is a very elementary, you know, kind of observation. And I know that there's way more fundamental stuff about Marx that we're not going to get into in today's episode. Today is more about the economic observations that he has. And really what we want to do is like debunk um, all this negative shit about Marxism. And, and like, none of us are even here saying like, we hope you walk away from this episode calling yourself a Marxist. We just want to give you more clarity as to like how very ridiculous it is when Trump says like all these Marxists are trying to destroy our society. And like, that yeah. is literally like the absolute wrong and, approach. And to I'll even go, I'll even go further and, and just say, you know, a large swath of, of the right right now, the mainstream right has really just been attacking Marx and Marxists, you know, who obviously they're pointing to a lot of people who aren't Marxists, but say everyone that they called were Marxists, they're not out for, for blood. They're not out for, you know, just murdering everybody. And we all just live in extreme right. poverty as one, as one class. And there, there's a lot more, you know, nuance. And really it's about like helping the actual working class and, and lifting us up in a much better position. So giving, I think that's giving like, power to where the working class is like right. the end game, I think. And whatever that ends up looking like and however you get there is something that people have debated after Marx. All this stuff that is the more scary side of people who call themselves Marxists that you probably are thinking about when you think of Marxism. Um, that is one thing that some people chose to do with Marxist philosophies, right. but there's a way bigger ideology and 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 there's a much more like freedom driven ideology of marxism um that you'll hear ben burgess talk about today and uh so really what we just want to do with this episode it's not even it's almost not even fair to call it an introduction to marxism it's almost just like we're going to talk about what it's not we're going to try to right. like de uh, stigmatize the word for you. So when you then do go and hear more about marxism and you hear people talking about it you'll be equipped with the tool to say Okay, well, I know you're scared that, Mar you know, what when you say Marxism, what you're talking about is Stalin, Joseph Stalin in right. the Soviet Union. And that is not like Karl Marx never endorsed Stalin, right? Like he, his writings predate Stalin. People will call themselves Marxist Leninists. And the fact that there's a second name already proves that that's not Marx in his pure form, right? So I think that that really does show that there's take out this like Soviet Leninist Stalinist thing that you're thinking of because Marx is something different. And Marx obviously yeah, predates what Joseph Stalin was doing. Marxism is it, to me and, and with my elementary understanding of it is a philosophy and uh, some observations about economics and a kind of philosophical framework to interpret society. And it, it's also a kind of set of morals, a set of principles that we want to achieve. And so how you get there is a matter of dispute. It is a matter that Marxists among themselves dispute heavily. So, right. you know, it doesn't have to be that if you hear someone say, oh, I'm a Marxist, like, you know, it was, it was highly publicized that some of the leaders of the Black Lives Matter movement call themselves trained Marxists, right? The right was really hanging on that. Like, look, Black Lives Matter is a Marxist movement. Well, that doesn't actually mean really anything scary at all. It means at base level, 
that, you know, depending on what they mean about it is, is up to them. But just the word Marxism itself just means like, oh, these are people who have studied what Marx talked about. And one of the things Marx talked about, it, Marx talked about is the economic injustices in capitalism. And that's not a scary thing at all. In fact, if, if you want to defend capitalism and you haven't, you're not familiar with the, you know, critique of it, then you're not really a great defender of capitalism. You have to right. know what's wrong with the system you're advocating for. E economic injustice. I mean, that's not a left or right issue. You turn on Fox News, Tucker Carlson talks about that every night. So this isn't some Absolutely. myth that Marxists have just created in their head. Like this is a real issue that literally everyone across the political spectrum is trying to figure out right now. Yeah, absolutely. So without further ado, let's bring on Ben Burgess. Um, and then we'll talk a bit more after the interview. Um, we really hope that you guys find this helpful. Um, but if, if you don't, then just just go go fuck yourself. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right. I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> hey, Ben, how you doing? Hello. Good morning. Good. How are you? Good. Hey, Thanks good morning. Good morning. Joining us. We're going to do like a little bit of a, like a really base level primer on Marxism in this episode. And we thought like, who better to have on than you? We kind of tried to, I guess, survey some people that, that we know and, and some listeners just try to get an aspect because I think there's a huge thing right now with the word Marxism that's like super poorly represented. We have Donald Trump calling Joe Biden a Marxist, which of course we all know Joe Biden's the biggest Marxist in America, of course. But, but um, so I guess like <laughs> a big question that I got a lot which seems to be of much controversy to all my friends at least, is can Marxists be democratic or does it have to be this like huge like revolution? Okay, uh, before I answer, I, I just wanna say I really uh, appreciate uh, that Pete in his background has uh, Agent Mulder's oh. beliefs. Uh, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, spent a lot of hours of my life watching that show in the 90s, yep. but, uh, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think it depends. It depends what you mean, right? So, so I think there are, there are two different questions here that that should should maybe be disentangled. So, one of them um, is is the like vision of socialism you're talking about, democratic, right, as opposed to like the sort of authoritarian Soviet style system, and the other one is how do you get there? Do you do you, do you work mm -hmm. within, you know, the democratic or you know, half democratic institutions, you know, that we, that we have right now. Uh, and, and I, uh, even though, like, I think it should be democratic in, in both senses. And in fact, I think, I think Marx might have views that people might not expect him to have on both questions. Like, I do think we should separate those. So, mm -hmm. uh, so on the first question, um, for sure, right? In that sense, uh, you know, if, if you read Marx, it's it's a it's a radically democratic vision, right? The uh, the like the whole objection to capitalism in the first place is that um, is that under capitalism, only uh, a minority of the population uh, owns businesses, and the rest of the population has no realistic choice except to submit to the domination of the first group, right? That's mm -hmm. uh, uh, and so, you know, when, when Marx talks about socialism, really when, when anybody before like the Russian revolution in 1917 talks about socialism, what they mean broadly speaking is, a, is some form of society 
where that's reversed, right? Where, where it's, it's no longer the case that most people have to be ordered around by a small minority of people, you know, during eight out of the 16 hours of every day that they're awake, um, that you can have what Marx usually calls like cooperative ownership, you know, of, uh, of the means of production that, you know, that workers will, will control the means of production, which I know is, is kind of a, like, that phrase sounds kind of like anachronistic and clunky, but I mean, that's just a way of saying like, you know, factory stores, whatever, right? Stuff like right, that. Right, right, right. Um, and sometimes people, people get the impression. And so like the idea is right, that under, under cap, like under pre, pre-capitalist societies, right? Feudalism, you know, then, um, you know, ancient Roman slavery, whatever, you know, people are typically forced to um, to work for, or in the case of like maybe farmers in some feudal system, like give up some of those their labor to a ruling class, like directly, like at the point of a sword or something, you know. Uh, right, and right. capitalism, relative to that, is progress because under capitalism, uh, you're not, you don't have that kind of direct coercion, right? Nobody like goes to your house and sticks a gun in your face to make you go to work. Um, but you have this kind of soft economic coercion that you have to go work for a boss or else you're not going to be able to eat. Right? Right, and right, and right. to the extent that's not true, of course, that's because of past worker struggles to get some kind of welfare state uh, to, to soften that, right? And so so in the original conception, right, this, this socialism is supposed to be an expansion of, of freedom, right? So capitalism is better than feudalism or uh, or slavery, right? Marx uh, was was very enthusiastic about the union cause in the Civil War, uh, e- even though you know slavery is being replaced by capitalism, you know, not socialism. Right. Uh, but uh, but the it's still you know, but it's not good enough, right? You know that that we can that that, that if if workers you know band together to get rid of capitalism and, and own the means of production themselves, that would be better. And I think oftentimes when people get the impression that, that Marx has an undemocratic idea of what a society, you know, after the revolution or whatever would look like, it's because there's this phrase that he and Engels use, not very often actually, like maybe like half a dozen times uh, over the course of their like super extensive collected right. writings, right. Uh, the dictatorship of the proletariat, meaning the rule of the working class. And so people key into that word dictatorship. Mm-hmm. And say, oh, okay, he's he's not advocating democracy; he's advocating dictatorship. Uh, but I think that 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 misses the idea a little bit. So, um, so when he talks about dictatorship, it's it's a reference to um, it's a reference to to Roman history, uh, where you'd have uh, normally you you know like in the Roman Republic, they had all these institutions set up to make sure no one individual could get like king like power. Uh, you know, certainly wasn't a democracy even in the most generous interpretation of that, right? But right. they did at least want to <laughs> make sure, you know, no individual got too much power. So you'd have uh, like the Senate and then two consuls who could override each other's decisions, you know, could, could, could mm-hmm. check each other, mm-hmm. but sometimes in a state of emergency, like, you know, there's a, you know, one of the wars they're always fighting got really intense or whatever, right? You know, there's mm-hmm. a slave revolt, something, right? Then, right having two guys like i have an executive power in the hands of two guys who could constantly veto each other got unwieldy uh (laughs) so they they would have you know one guy do it for a year or something right you know that Mm -hmm. that 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 was a dictator in the roman sense uh and so when he talks about the dictatorship of the proletariat as there's a 
the idea is remember it's it's not of an individual right it's mm -hmm. of the proletariat of the working class right is the you know mm -hmm. which is all the proletariat means there uh and so the idea is that during the transition to socialism, the working class is like imposing its will on the capitalist class by taking away their stuff and all that, right? right Which right. is like a Roman dictatorship, a temporary situation, because ultimately you're going to have a society where you don't have one class imposing its will on others because you're not going to have different classes. Right. And actually, um, I mean, I know this is kind of a rabbit hole, but just to just you like wrap it up, right? They have uh, <laughs> the one time that Marx and Engel, like, when Marx and Engels talk about the dictatorship of the proletariat, like it's not just hypothetical. They actually pointed a specific historical thing that happened uh, to show what they mean, right? Yeah. And the specific yeah. thing they, that actually happened they point to is the Paris Commune in 1871, which mm -hmm. is this incident where um, during the Franco-Prussian War, uh, there's uh, a bunch of like uh, workers and soldiers uh, in, um, in, in Paris uh, take over the city government uh, and, and run it for themselves. And if you read Marx's book about that, The Civil War in France, the, the features of the Paris Commune that he points to that he likes are all this like radically super democratic stuff, right? Like they have a like, um, no, uh, every, every state, like every official in the commune can be recalled by their constituents at any time for any reason. Uh, nobody can be paid, like nobody in the government can be paid more than the average salary of a skilled worker. Uh, uh, factories that were abandoned by um, capitalists who fled from Paris to Versailles were like taken over as like worker cooperatives. Like this is all the stuff he liked about it, right? So when he talks about dictators for the proletariat, he's not talking about a one person or one party dictatorship in that sense, right? He means the rule of the working class in this super democratic sense. And even on the other question, uh, this, this thing about, okay, do you work within democratic institutions or, or do you try to overthrow them? Uh, I mean, I think that Marx doesn't write that much about this. And I, I think if, and if, you know, like you can just point to things here and there, right? Like, um, so he spends a lot of time talking about revolution in the violent sense, but they, but when he's talking about that, he's mostly talking about uh, European countries that are still ruled by like kings or, you know, emperors. Uh, so there, there really is no way for like a socialist party to just take power electorally. And in fact, when you started to get countries like England that did gradually extend the franchise, the right to vote to, to most working class men, at least, you know, over the course of the 19th century, uh, then he, he starts to change his thinking on that, right? Like he, he says several times, hey, on the continent, right, we're gonna have to use force, but, but here, you know, in England where he was stationed for most of his, you know, most of his adult life uh, or, uh, or in America, he gives example, I think he says maybe Switzerland, but he doesn't know enough about it, right? Then like in those places, uh, then it might be possible for a socialist party to just take power through like existing institutions. And then he's worried that you're gonna get, um, he's worried that the capitalists would react to that with violence, you know, by doing the equivalent of what slaveholders in the South did when Lincoln was elected. But he thinks that like at least initially coming to power uh, can happen electorally. And actually, I, I guess, I know it's been a really long answer, but I mean, just, just one last thing on that, right? That like, um, the, the funny thing about that, like I think I always think is really funny about this is when people say, oh, um, Marxism is clearly like undemocratic, it's authoritarian, and they point to 20th century governments, right? Dictators who were born after Marx died, 
right? Who said they were influenced by his ideas to show that. But then like, it's a really weird standard because no other, like no other uh, philosopher, you know, from, from the 18th or 19th century do we apply that standard to, right? Like uh, in fact, like John Locke, who like liberals and libertarians love, right? You know, was like personally involved in horrifying things like the uh, the dispossession of the Native Americans and, and slavery, right? Both, yeah. uh, like both, you know, it's like given like he, he had like a job, like writing the constitution for, for the South Carolina colony, right? You know, so uh, whereas Marx, not only was the stuff he advocated actually very democratic, but uh, there were no dictators or anything who existed at the time that, you know, that he lived to who he praised. In fact, the only head of state who he ever liked enough to even send a friendly telegram to was Abraham Lincoln. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh that's wild to me that, you know, he was at least trying to be pen pals with, <laughs> with Abraham Lincoln, which I, I think is insane. Cause we, I, I mean, partly due to the uh, you know, the whole Jordan Peterson world that we live in now, which is another reason why we thought, you know, you'd be great for this. Cause you know, you talk to the average person who, who, you know, now and what they know about, Marxism is just the phrase cultural Marxism, you know, and, and I don't know. I mean, I know Steve and I have both tried to read certain parts of Marx. Admittedly, it is, it is not exactly my favorite author by, by any stretch of the imagination. It, it's a, uh, I personally haven't seen much about him talk about culture. Is that, is there something that's like being perverse that he said that is like getting all these IDW guys to talk about him in that way? Uh, not really. No, like, like Marx, uh, doesn't doesn't talk much about culture uh, like and you know you do get I mean I guess the sort of half germ of truth in the cultural Marxism thing is that you do get 20th century Marxists mm -hmm. like uh, mm -hmm. Gramsci, uh, Dorno who um, who who are very interested in culture but that's because they see that as like kind of a gap like in classical Marxism because in some ways, so like the for for a long time, the uh, the main socialist party in the world was was the German Social Democrats, the uh, the SPD, and uh, and when like early twentieth century Marxists, people like like Kautsky, uh, like really had this idea. Like if you look at the way they wrote about it, it's like hey, they're doing like a little bit better in every election, right? This is just sort of this natural thing that as workers come to realize their economic interests you know they'll in greater and greater numbers you know they'll they'll vote the SPD into power and then we'll have socialism right and um and you know then even like people like Lenin who who didn't think it could you know happen that way at a certain point right you know that like thought there did have to be violent revolutions at least thought that would happen right, right. you know that that <laughs> pretty much inevitably and then by the time you get to like um you know, the mid 20th century, you're like, well, okay, like, clearly, it's more complicated than that, because um, look around, right, you know, like, like yeah. we're, we're, still, we're still living under capitalism, you know, the, um, in most of the world, at least, you know, there, there's, a, there's still, um, and there have been, like, two world wars, where, where workers have, like, uh, mostly like taken up the arms of their country to, like, you know, to kill each other, right. uh, and so clearly, there isn't this like automatic relationship between economic interests uh, and and politics. The people aren't just going to realize, oh yeah, they're like the system, you know, like the system is bad for me. So now 
I'm going to support socialism and, you know, right. and, and, and all that stuff. So, uh, so you need, you need some way of, of figuring out like, why not? Right. You know, right. Which, is, Definitely. which is why, which is why people like Gramsci become really interested in, uh, in culture. Uh, it's also why some 20th century Marxists start getting really interested in like Freudian psychology and stuff like that. Right. You know, right. just like, okay, what else is going on here? Yeah. Uh, and so, so there are, Marxist theorists in, in the mid late 20th century who are very interested in culture. And that's true. But when people talk about cultural Marxism, they're not really talking about like these like esoteric Frankfurt School philosophers for the most part, right? Like what they're talking about is like any kind of cultural progressivism that they can like go back and you know like make it sound scary by by associating it with 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 Marxists, right? You know, it's right. you know, like it's like like you know, people having like gender pronouns in their Twitter bios is cultural Marxism, you know, right. stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. I think that um, everything you're talking about is to take a step back a little bit, you know, it really does touch on the cultural perception of Marxism, which is that Marxism is government coercion. I think you already talked about that's not really what Marxism is about. It's more about, you know, a worker controlled society, right? Where the mass, the proletariat actually runs the show. Um, yeah. But this perception, right, they're trying to apply this misconception about Marxism to every area of life. So cultural Marxism is both not what Marx talked about and based on a misconception of Marxism itself, which is that this is some, you know, coercive state where we're going to come in and force equality on people at gunpoint. And to take it a step further, the, the most arguments you'll hear from people who misunderstand Marxism, even well-meaning, you know, people on maybe even the left would say that the ultimate result of that will be mass poverty and suffering, and we're going to end up in some 1984 situation. And I think that, like, yeah, what, yeah, go yeah. ahead, but yeah, please. Yeah, no, I was just going to say. I mean, I, I mean, look, I mean, on the coercion point, like, uh, I mean, it's it's certainly true, right? That like, if you're going to be any kind of uh, of socialist, then uh, then then presumably you do want to like you know take away a lot of the property of you know of of uh, of the people who have you know the most of it you know they they your Jeff Bezos and whatnot right and um, yeah <laughs> and, you know, involuntarily right like you know right, like that right, they right. Uh, we're they, not going to ask uh, his permission yeah 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 you're not going to ask his permission and look. Uh, Really, if you're going to be, I mean, we can even broaden it out from socialism, right? You know, if, if you're going to be any kind of, of leftist, right? You know, like you are going to, uh, you are going to say that, right? Because at the very least, even if you don't want to do what I, what I'd like to do, right? Which is like take away Amazon from him and, you know, nationalize it or turn it into a worker co-op or whatever we do, yeah. right? <laughs> right. Uh, even if you don't want to do that, right? You at least want to take away like a big chunk of, of his bank account, right? You know, to, right. to, uh, to right. fund social programs and whatnot, right? And and that's, mm -hmm. so like, that would be like the, the libertarian point that like, that is all government coercion. Right, right, right. And, and fair enough, right? Although I've always really liked Matt Brudig's uh, point about this, which, uh, which is basically that like, government, like government coercion bad doesn't actually get you very far because, um, because whether you're like enforcing existing property relations or changing them, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's just as coercive in either case, right? right. You know that like uh, that, you know if if I say, you know like if you take, um, you know if uh, you know Decatur takes uh, you know steals my TV 
and uh and then so like i i, I reported a likely to, to scenario the, yeah <laughs> yeah it'll probably happen yeah. Yeah. so i i you know um immediately forgetting the fact that i don't like the police right i file a police report and mm-hmm. they, uh, they, they go to his house and uh and they 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 take you know i mean well presumably they arrest him but also right like the part that matters for this right they they take back the tv against his will right that's yep. the like that's yeah. co- that's government coercion right you know like you're you're uh you're you're taking something from somebody who doesn't right. who currently has it against their will but uh, you know libertarian would say well that that kind of government coercion is fine right because because i have a claim on the tv it's it's mine right you know that they have a that it's that I have a right to the TV. And mm-hmm. then the Brunig point would just be okay, but now we're not really arguing about coercion good or coercion bad. We're arguing about who has a right to what, right? Like and that's and that's yeah. really what the right. argument should be about. That yeah, that actually helps helps my understanding quite a bit. Um, I think that makes sense because if yeah. Right. The, 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 this is something that I've been thinking about a lot. I started thinking about it. We did an episode with a journalist, Ellis Coase, a few weeks ago um, on this idea of like ju- like Facebook's stance on not regulating speech, right? Well, yeah. you know, one of the points that we were thinking about is not regulating speech or, in the, or as we would talk about in Marxism, not regulating the economy is not actually a neutral decision. What you're saying is is that what I want? The only function I want the government to serve is to enforce the status quo that we currently have. But it's still, like you said, a method of coercion. We're still saying that we want who currently has power to keep having power. We're just not going to use the government to shift that at all. So there's yeah, still we're, yeah. we're going to use use the government to keep that the way right. it is, right? Which which exactly. could actually like if if your concern is just about like literally minimizing the amount of government coercion going on right you know like you you want you know fewer people to be you know made to do things at, at gunpoint you want fewer people to be arrested whatever then then that could actually have the opposite effect right because because it, it could be that if you have right. a wildly unequal distribution of wealth you actually have to lock up a lot more people uh because um you know, just, just to protect the, the property of the people yeah. who have most of it against everybody else. Right. Yeah. Right. I think that yeah. that's something that yeah, that's a really good point. I don't remember Paris Hilton stealing, stealing shit all the time. Yeah. yeah. So. I mean, I yeah. guess there's, uh, there's, uh, fuck, uh, you know, Winona Ryder. Right. But like, that's a, that's mm-hmm. not why. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Pete, you must uh, have, I was yeah, going to see if Pete, Pete was waiting on a question or not. Um, Oh yeah. I was going to comment. Um, you know, I thought the example you gave with stealing the television was really helpful, especially for people like me who are very naive to some of these ideas, um, kind of about Marxism and property ownership and things like that. Um, I was wondering if we could rewind a little bit. Um, you you mentioned that one of the maybe mis, misunderstood um, concepts um, is about um, kind of having the workers control the means of production. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's you know very much a far cry from from what we have going on in you know our society today in America. Um, but I wonder if you can comment on what that might look like if we could shift to that position where the workers would have some kind of control over the means of production. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I also want to say, by the way, on the on the cultural you know Marxism point, since uh, since Steve brought up uh, Jordan Peterson earlier uh, that. I, I think that what's in my experience, like what, like, I think 
I think maybe even him himself, but like certainly people who are like fans of what he says about this stuff, uh, what they'll often tell me at a certain point in this conversation is okay. So maybe like, um, you know, pronouns and Twitter bios isn't literally Marxism, but, uh, but it's like Marxism, right? And then like the, then the move is gonna be that, well, look, just like Marxists say that, you know, workers are being oppressed by, by capitalists, then, uh, you know, social justice warriors say that, uh, you know, I don't know, gay people are being oppressed by straight people, whatever, right? You know, and right. think, okay, but if that's what you mean by Marxism, right? Just the idea that, uh, that there's ever a case where one group is unjustly oppressing another group, then Marxism predates the birth of Karl Marx by like all of human history, right? Like yeah. everybody, <laughs> you know, yeah. everybody involved in the French right. Revolution was a Marxist. The author right. of the Book of Exodus was a Marxist, right? You know, like there's, there's a lot of, you know, it's not hard to find pre-Marx claims that like yeah. oppression exists yeah. in the world. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, I, mean, I guess as far as like Pete's specific question about what solving the, the particular form of, of oppression that um, Marx is most concerned about would look like, uh, I think that, I think, so I think what Marx actually says about this is not very much and it's mostly not very helpful. Uh, that, um, so the, the places where, I mean, yeah, I mean, he's, he's enthusiastic about the, the Paris Commune, although I, I certainly don't think he thinks it went all the way to achieving full socialism or whatever. Uh, he, uh, you know, he uses a lot of phrases in his writings about, you know, workers taking over, you know, the means of production. And there's like, there's a book, there's a little thin book uh, pamphlet called The Critique of the Gotha Program, uh, which um, was when that German Social Democratic Party was first being formed. Um, they're uh, at this this Congress in the city of Gotha in Germany. They uh, they they had their like unity con Congress, and there was there was a, and they they put forward this like platform document, and and he wrote this thing to circulate among the delegates criticizing it. Although interestingly enough, showing that Marx um, was a lot more like savvy about this stuff than a lot of subsequent Marxists. Uh, it wasn't published in his lifetime because he didn't want to undermine mm. his political allies, you know, by, uh, <laughs> by this public. Yeah. So I, I, that's yeah. something I think a lot of later Marxists, you have a very hard mm. time imagining them making that decision. But anyway, in there, mm. uh, there are like two or three paragraphs in there about how like a post-capitalist economy would actually work. Uh, and there's some interesting stuff in there, but overall, I think, you know, in my view, at least it's, it's not super helpful or convincing. Uh, I, I think that's, that's, if you agree with him that workers taking over the means of production is, is a important goal, right? You know, then, then I think you, you have to supplement, uh, mm -hmm. you know, what he says about it and, and maybe even disregard some of what he says about it because uh, some of the details, I think, um, I'm, I'm not convinced or that well thought out, right? You know, it, in, it's, it's, it's very vague, right? You know, so... Right. Um, right. But I think there are other socialists since Marx who said things that were more useful on that, right? So um, one, uh, one example I really like is there's a guy named David Schweikart uh, who is, um, has, uh, has a background in, uh, I think he went to like grad school first for economics and then philosophy. And, and, uh, and he, um, he wrote a book called After Capitalism. Uh, back in the 90s, I think, uh, or there was a, like a, there's a, I think the, the edition I read 
like I think probably came out in like 2002 or something because there's like an introduction where it talks a little bit about 9-11 and the war on terror and stuff you get the sense that this was something that was like added at the last second mm -hmm. you know that's like oh it'd be weird if I didn't talk about this now you know so uh, <laughs> yeah but uh but but what he talks about it there uh is well actually sorry let me, let me just back up half a second right because like because I think that I think the other thing that like the other big sort of postmarks thing that has to be taken into account here is the like 75 years or whatever it was that the Soviet Union existed, you know, in all of those countries, because yeah. those are certainly attempts at creating some kind of totally non-capitalist economy. Right. Uh, and, you know, not one where the workers were really in control of anything in practice, but, but some kind of non-capitalist economy. And, you know, it, like, spoiler it was not a smashing success right like like, <laughs> like yeah. It, it, yeah you know it was good at some things uh you know like really quickly producing lots and lots of tractors or lots and lots of tanks and mm -hmm. you know doing that kind of rapid industrialization and you know thank god for it probably or else the nazis might have won world war ii but um mm -hmm. <laughs> but it was very very bad at a lot of other things right you know like uh just sort of daily coordination of production mm -hmm. with consumer preferences so if you're a Soviet citizen uh, showing up to the grocery store, right? Like uh, mm. you, you just kind of had to hope that, you know, what you wanted to, to buy would be there, right? You know, like uh, that's that's sort of the cliche about the Soviet economy that you have like lots of rubles in your pocket, but like, what are you going to do with them, right? right. And uh, because that system didn't really create a lot of incentives for, for, for planners to, and really maybe even the ability right, to like coordinate in that kind of nitty gritty way what was being produced with what people wanted to buy, uh, which is what's sometimes called the calculation problem. And some, some Marxists will say things like, oh yeah, but the problem is uh, the reason the planning didn't work in the Soviet Union is that it wasn't democratic. And of course, I think that if it was democratic, a lot of the problems with that system would have been solved, but I don't think all of them would have, right? So like, like just a little thought experiment, you kind of imagine the way the Soviet economy worked and you sort of layer democracy on top of that, right? So you, mm. you have like imagine a version of the Soviet Union where you had free speech and a free press and multi-party elections. And then like maybe whatever par party got a majority in parliament, you know, that year's election formed a government and appointed the head of the Soviet planning office, Goshplan. Well, in that scenario I just described, I think probably like the worst horrors of that system wouldn't have happened because like, you wouldn't have had like, you know, the point in like the thirties when Stalin was allowing Ukrainians to starve to death, you know, because right. it was like, mm -hmm. uh, so actually like selling grain from there to like buy heavy industrial equipment. Like that wouldn't have happened if he'd had to worry mm -hmm. about being reelected. Uh, but, um, but I'm not sure that the sort of daily frustrations of Soviet consumers would have been that much better if that yeah. had happened, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think that, I don't think that that version where there was some sort of democratically elected government that like ran the like Soviet planning office would have right. necessarily been better at that, right? So, so I, I think that the, the lesson that I draw from this uh, and, you know, this is certainly not a, you know, orthodox Marxist view, but I mean, I, I think it is true, right? Like is that you probably for any kind of, for any kind of socialist society you could imagine, like at least at this stage of history, uh, you probably do need some kind of market mechanisms right. to, to solve those problems. Right. Uh, that which, like which doesn't have... Yeah. The, 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 the advantages of the incentives 
that, that uh, we have in a free market. So, and that I think is a common misconception that socialism doesn't necessarily have to lack markets, although we can talk about really good reasons that they might, um, but that like, it wouldn't be this like overnight thing that the Soviets tried to do where it's like, suddenly there's no markets, everything's centrally planned. Although that might be kind of reducing the complexity of what yeah. happened in that country. No, but I mean, that's, but I mean, roughly, right. You know, I mean, right, like, right. like, like, like everything is, you know, like, or almost everything, right. You know, is, is, is centrally planned. Like, so there's a really good book called uh, Red Plenty by Francis Stufford, where he talks about, um, well, it's, it's a, a, you know, that, that's basically like this broad view about like how all that worked and like what, what all the attempts yeah. to reform that word, why none of them worked, right? And right. yeah, and look, I think it's possible that we could get to a place eventually where we didn't need those, those market mechanisms that like, uh, that it, that maybe in the future technology will get so good that uh, that that like uh, that that you can just have like <laughs> algorithms do all the coordination yeah. you know that right. the markets do. I'm not ruling that out, but uh, but also I don't think you can count on that. Certainly not if you want this to happen anytime soon. Right. So, uh, but we so, are working towards that in a way. If you just look at what companies like Amazon already have in place, they are already using algor algorithms in order to accomplish like one day shipping or two day shipping. They're using algorithms to predict what areas will need so they can deliver that quickly. So it, like, uh, it, it, of course I agree. It's kind of like a fun thought experiment. It's not necessarily like what, you know, people talk about like fully automated you know, technological yeah. communism, which sounds great. Like, yeah, why wouldn't we just yeah, yeah. want to, you know, technology to take over of all our needs for us? But to the extent sure. that we don't have that yet, you're right. We need to think about like, well, how are we going to get this all distributed in a meaningful way? Um, all right. Looks like we just lost uh, Brent. So let me just, um, okay. We got, uh, we got Brent yeah. back on here. Yeah. I've thought about this so much in the last, like, God, what is it? Like 15 years to, uh, 20 years, you know, that, that we've had while well, Skype and now Zoom, you know, that like, because mm -hmm. like, I think Star Trek really missed a lot of plot opportunities because, because uh, when, when they did the like video calls in there, it always worked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Where are the dropped calls and all the drama that comes with it? So yeah, <laughs> definitely. So anyway, I know that was like a lot of preface, but I think that like, um, but but I, I was just going to say on the like socialism thing. So like what Schweikart says in After Capitalism oh, right. is basically that you could have you could have an economy you know that was like um, still basically a uh, a market economy, but you'd have public ownership of um, of the the actual like physical infrastructure of like factories and other kinds of of means of production like that. Uh, but then you have private but worker-owned firms uh, that would uh, that would get their initial funding from grants from from uh, publicly owned banks uh, that could um, that would then like act you know pretty much the same way right that 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 regular capitalist businesses do but they'd be you know but they they'd be owned uh, owned by the uh, the workers uh, and um, and you'd and uh, again, like the reason, because if you look at like under really existing capitalist societies, like you do have worker cooperatives, like the most famous case is the Mondragon Corporation in Spain, which is this giant cooperative uh, business has like 80,000 members, or I don't know, maybe they've, I don't know how the pandemic has affected them, but they had 80,000 
you know, members in this, this giant worker cooperative, like all kinds of little businesses within it. Uh, one of the biggest employers, the Basque region of Spain, right? You know, but that's, that's, a, uh, that's an outlier. outlier. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that usually they're not that big. Uh, and you have, and it looks like if you look at the research on like really existing worker-owned businesses, uh, once they get going, they seem to work about as well as, as just regular capitalist businesses that, you know, they, I mean, of course they go out of business like any does, but like the lifespan tends to be about as long, you know, they, they, they work about as well. Uh, and so I think it seems like the question is why is that such a tiny minority of the economy on, under capitalism? And it doesn't seem to be because they don't like work as efficiently once they get going, right? It, it seems to be because it's harder for them to get started in the first place. It's not that the death rate is higher, it's that the, it's the birth rate is, uh, is lower. Uh, and so part of the reason is like, if you think about a lot of different kinds of businesses, like the actual um, initial capital costs, you know, for like starting it up are, are, are massive, right? Like, like even ones that aren't that big necessarily. Like, you know, like think about like if you have like a, a like a really like you're a dentist, right? And you have like a small independent dental practice. Um, you know, I guess uh, I've had to go to the dentist a bunch lately, you know, so this is, this is the example that's on my mind, you know, but I, mean, uh, uh, if I didn't think we'd the, be talking about the dentist today, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's like, that could be in a business that has like 10 employees, but, uh, but you have like all these machines there that cost like tens of thousands of dollars uh, and so it's, um, so the, the starter capital is like wildly unequally distributed right now. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course there are loans, but, uh, but you know, you're more likely to get a loan right. if, if you have some reason to believe that you're good for it. Right. And, uh, and most people, if they tried would not get one, right. You know, mm -hmm. that's, uh, so, that's uh, me. <laughs> <laughs> so, so if you're going to, um, so that's, that's why they, uh, that's why Schweikart's, you know, conception in order to have an economy that was actually dominated by worker owned businesses, what you'd want to do is, is uh, nationalize the banks uh, mm -hmm. and, and then, and then you'd have these publicly owned banks give out grants, which would be like loans, but you only pay you know, you only pay the, you know, you only pay interest essentially, right? You know, and right. uh, to to buy all the expensive stuff and, you know, and, and, and get things going. So I don't, I don't know, maybe that was like a, a much more in the weeds answer. No, than, than no, I, I think it's perfect. Another, you know, if we're thinking about like the traditional business and one thing I think that was really helpful reading about Marxism to me is to kind of like reframe what capitalism is, right? And it's not just, oh, free trade, everything's voluntary. It's actually maybe another more important defining feature is it's premised on the exploitation of those who don't have the resources to start a business, right? You either have the resources to start your own business or you have to work for someone who does. And so your, your labor is of course worth more than what you're getting paid for it or no one would hire you. And so course, that right. is you know, a, a form of exploitation. We're exploiting your labor to take out more value from you than you're getting for yourself, exactly. basic yep. level. What I thought about is like if another struggle is even if we had a more low cost 
model, right? If I ever wanted to start my own law firm, for example, you can actually start a law firm these days really cheap. I could do it from right here on my computer. I just need a few um, software subscriptions. And if I wanted to start it myself, no problem. But if I wanted to get any partners involved and then start to have paralegals and secretaries, the issue... I, I thought about this before is if I ever wanted to do that, good luck trying to convince the other lawyers that I want to bring on my team to give up their ability to exploit other people. And of course, they wouldn't word it that way or think about it that way. But me trying to convince other lawyers who have the capacity to make, you know, three, four hundred thousand dollars a year plus in a, in a small firm and be like, hey, you know what, wouldn't you actually be happier <laughs> making 75,000 a year, but then the paralegal also makes 75,000 a year and has some say in how the firm is run and what kind of cases yeah, right. we take and that kind of thing. Well, good luck with that because they went to school and they took all this debt and they're like, well, no, I've earned the right to exploit other people now. Again, they wouldn't word it that way, but that's kind of what I, how I would rephrase their thinking. Oh, for, for sure. Right. I mean, like, cause, um, I mean, look, I mean, this, this gets us back to the, the, the voluntariness question uh, that nobody's, you know, like nobody ever really gives up a, a position of, of, of power, right? You know, if, if they have the option of, uh, of keeping it, right? I mean, that's, that's one of the reasons I actually think it's kind of like weirdly beside the point to like, you know, have like fainting spells about Donald Trump, you know, uh, like hiring a bunch of accountants to to come up with like clever ways that he doesn't have right. to pay his taxes yeah yeah it's like yeah i mean i don't expect anybody to pay a penny more than you know they, they're mm -hmm. legally forced mm -hmm. to right i right. mean that's right right, that's right. How taxes yeah. work. <laughs> mm -hmm. i agree i mean my yeah. family my, my family's republican and they feel the same way they're like what's wrong with what he did i mean to the extent that it wasn't illegal i don't know the details of it maybe there was some fraud involved but i'm not i don't know so to the extent that like what, i have no doubt that he did exploit the system yeah totally right yeah quite a bit of it seems to have been been legal and even the stuff mm -hmm. that's like maybe an illegal gray area well if the um you know if he's doing this for years and years and years and and the irs uh is it clamping down on it then those laws aren't worth much right you know like right, that's, right. A, that's really right. more of yeah, a well, question than a law well i'm coming from the rap world where everyone does tax fraud all the time so i'd be a hypocrite if, I, <laughs> if that was the thing that i was done with donald trump for yeah <laughs> Yeah, um, I'm kind of curious. Uh, we so when I, I pulled some people, <laughs> something that came up a lot uh, about Marxism is how individualism would work, and they have like a fear that maybe there's no sort of individualism under Marxism. I don't know if you could speak to that in any account. What do you mean by that, uh, Decatur? Are you talking about like? like like individual freedom to choose your job? Because that's one thing I've heard about like Cuba, like they force you to be yeah. a truck driver, even if you hate trucks. Is that what you're asking about? Right. And like, so it's like, yeah, it's like, you know, do, do I have to do this if I want to be a musician? Do I want to be an actor? Do I want to start? Yeah. Do I know, have to fill out a, a form to explain how much I love music? What about Pornhub? Right. What? Yeah. <laughs> They're going to force you to be a pornographer. <laughs> yeah. Okay. okay. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. Look, uh, Sorry if that question threw you off. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, no, I mean, I certainly, you know, support everybody's right to uh, to, to to post to Pornhub. I, I don't want right. to, I don't want to stop that. But um, right, right, right. Uh, but yeah, uh, I, I mean, look, I don't know if that's even quite true about about Cuba. Uh, I've I've been, you know, I've I've been to Cuba. It's it's uh, you know, it's it's certainly a very you know very far from ideal society but uh but i don't think they're actually forcing people to uh you know like like i, I don't know that they're actually like forcing people to make particular career choices particularly 
there's, you know, I know, I know they've been criticized for doing things like, uh, you know, like for example, if, if somebody, you know, uh, for, uh, you know, maybe like doing things like pressuring doctors to participate in certain kind of overseas missions, things like that. But I don't, I don't think, I don't think anybody's actually like putting a gun to your head and, and saying that, you know, that like you have to like go to medical school. Uh, right. <laughs> you know, I, I think probably, you know, I mean, actually, like, I think that's kind of an interesting example because uh, in my guess is that um, is like in, in Cuba, I mean, like doctors, aren't actually paid that well, like even rel like, I mean, maybe you get a little bit more, right. You know, for, mm -hmm. for being yeah, a doctor, right. but it's not a big right. gap, but they've still got, they've still got like doctors running out their ears. And I think that the, uh, and so I think probably social prestige is like just good enough, you know, to, yeah. uh, to make people want to do that. Uh, mm -hmm. But look, uh, I mean, going from, from Cuba to, to kind of socialism I'd advocate. Uh, yeah. I mean, I actually think there would be more, uh, opportunity for for individual self-expression and also for mm -hmm. um uh and also for for like career choice right because um i mean just starting on a basic social democratic level uh right now in the united states right now lots of people um don't go to college because they, they can't afford it uh they they don't want to be you know they, they rationally don't want to spend decades paying off you know student loans uh, they, you know, like lots of people who even would qualify for financial aid are intimidated by like the sort of bureaucratic hoops they have to jump through to do that. Uh, and so I think just having like free public higher education uh, would free up a lot of people to, to, uh, to pursue career choices they might not pursue if, um, you know, without that, right? And, uh, and I also think just having more, uh, you know, I, I think having more free time, right? So, which right. Uh, which you could have, um, like, I think one of the best things about having, um, you know, a an economy where the predominant like economic unit would be a, a worker cooperative, uh, is if you like maybe to kind of go back to what Steve was saying about you know uh, you know fully automated luxury communism, right? Yeah. Even if you air, <laughs> right? Uh, if you think about how automation works under capitalism, well. Uh, if, if there's some labor saving device that lets the owner of the company, you know, that like, uh, only half as much human labor needs to happen as before, then the incentive is for the owner of the company to just lay off half the workforce and have the other half work as hard as ever. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is what always happens. Right. Uh, whereas if the workers, um, were, were democratically electing, you know, um, either the management directly or, or whatever council, you know, hired the management, uh, then uh, the incentive would be totally different, right? Like the, uh, the, the incentive, if it, you know, in that sense, right, if, you know, with uh, labor saving technology might be to just keep everybody on board for the same wages they were making before, but just cut everybody's hours in half, right. uh, you know, and I think that would be amazing as far as as unleashing uh, potential for for individual self-expression. Like I think in a society where where people had to work fewer hours a day, 
you know, with no loss of, of income, right? I, th I think we'd see, and look, I mean, I'm sure most of it would be terrible, right? You know, that people, that like lots of people <laughs> with no musical talent whatsoever would be starting their own band. <laughs> but lots of, right. There would yeah. be tons of bad poetry being written, you know, yeah. but like, right. uh, but it, but still, right? Like, that, right, that, right, like, yeah. like, like, I want that, right? Like, I, But I it's want more freedom. To, yeah, it's more freedom. Yeah, yeah. Is, I want is, everybody is to point. pursue right. their own dreams it's you know as however much as terrible sure, yeah <laughs> as, as much as i'm sure a lot of them would be yeah. terrible dreams right right right, right. Yeah, and we, yeah. we've already dealt with a lot of bad poetry so that we can handle yeah yeah we can, we can handle, handle we can handle, handle increasingly <laughs> not bad poetry in the world yeah. that's right but i mean even this podcast is an example i mean we do this in our free time um i would i could only imagine like how much more we could do with it if we weren't all three of us full-time workers you know and so um, totally, yeah. yeah uh pete is a psychologist um, Brent has all sorts of odd jobs and I'm a lawyer and like, this is just an extra thing we do. And, and yeah, no, this is, I would love to spend more time on this. And so I think exactly that, that point is really well taken that like in a truly, uh, more socialist Marxist society, one that maybe Marx would approve of, let's say, um, that, uh, that, um, you know, we'd have much more freedom. And I think that that's actually the same point we talked about with Nathan, Nathan Robinson is like, this is like a very common misconception, I think of socialism in general is that socialists want coercion and less freedom. And it's actually exactly the opposite because of the ways that like actual material existence that we have right now. Yeah. Maybe the, the government doesn't force you to do one thing or another, but your actual economic reality does. And so with yeah. socialists, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, totally. And, and, and yeah, and of course we don't want, uh, you know, like obviously we want to go in, in the, uh, in the right direction, which is, uh, less coercion, you know, mm -hmm. not, not, not more, right. We want, we, we want to get rid of the soft economic coercion of capitalism mm -hmm. rather than, you know, of course, going back to direct coercion, which is what people will often accuse socialists or even social democrats of right like like my favorite right. uh stupid thing that people say about this is the like um the like Rand paul thing of saying that well oh if you have a right to health care that means that that you have a right to doctor services so like now the doctor is a slave uh which mm -hmm. um which is just deliberate equivocation right because mm -hmm. uh, you know what you know what we're saying you have a right to is not the labor of any particular doctor uh, you know, like, cause they, I mean, if they want to right. be a doctor, sure. Right. right. You know, under, yeah. under a socialized system, they'd have to work within that system. Right. But they don't have to become a doctor in the first place. Mm -hmm. uh, what we're saying we have a right to do is the government picking up the tab for those medical services. Yeah. And we're exactly, no one, in fact, who's really even forcing the doctor to work? I mean, it's just like, that's what he chose to do. And that's yeah, again, exactly. another, another misconception. So what I'm, I, I think this is, uh, the answer to this question is already abundantly obvious from this uh, entire interview already, but um, just to reiterate for anyone who this really is kind of new to them, um, I think that a very common misconception of Marxism is that anyone who would call themselves a Marxist or who is open-minded to Marxism is, is by definition advocating for a Soviet form of government or the Cuban government. And like, there's of course a bunch of different ways to try to effectuate a more Marxist society. But I'd leave that to you. How would you respond to that accusation? Yeah, right. I mean, I, I think, um, I mean, I think that that's, that's just wrong. I, I think that, uh, I mean, I, I think if the question is like what Marx thought, right. You know, like, like, like when he, when he, when he was talking about socialism, what does he have, what does he have in mind? Right. Uh, right. It would be different from either what I've advocated or what exists in the Soviet Union, right. It would be different mm -hmm. from what exists in the Soviet Union because it'd be super democratic. 
uh, it would be different from 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 what I've advocated, you know, because I think Marx did assume that uh, that we could uh, plan everything and uh, and have, like I said, I mean, he doesn't say much about it. It's mostly pretty vague, right? You know, but mm -hmm. like, uh, but even like in ways suggesting that you know that we that we uh, would uh, the sort of technical Marxist language is overcome the commodity form, like we wouldn't even have money anymore, right? Stuff mm -hmm. like that, right? Like, and you know, which my view on all that is maybe someday, right? But right. like, uh, but but in terms of what could happen anytime soon, I think it would be closer to what I laid out earlier, which would be like Marx and unlike the Soviet Union in the sense of what he cares about it, you know, is, uh, you know, workers collectively controlling the means of production, right? Uh, so I, I think that if the, I think that if the question is, um, well, what do people who call themselves Marxists think? Lots of different things, right? They disagree with each yeah, other about yeah. tons of shit, right? You know, mm -hmm. and then like if if the question is is what what Marx thought, right? Then then um, yeah, I mean, we you know we we talked about that. So, but it's like either um, you know, but in both cases, right? If the question is would either Marx or later Marxists, right? You know, like is what they're talking about. Uh, they, you know, like the kind of system that existed in the Soviet Union, that's a, like no in both cases, right? I mean, that's certain, mm -hmm. that's definitely not what Marx was talking about. Uh, and I think that, you know, I mean, there are, look, I mean, you can always find somebody who advocates anything, right? It's like, yeah. the, uh, yeah. right, yeah. there's a Cicero said, right, there's no, there's no view so ludicrous that's not advocated by some <laughs> philosopher. Right? You can always find somebody, but yeah, but there are, but the overwhelming majority of people in, you know, here and now, right, you know, who, who, who call themselves Marxists are certainly not, are certainly not advocating, you know, that, that kind of system. Mm -hmm. So, um, so, I mean, I, I think in, I think in both cases, like, I, I think it's just kind of a, um, it's like, you know, it's, it's a little bit like if I, if somebody says like they're, they're a, um, they're they're conservative and and I say um, oh so so like what you want is uh, is like Nazi Germany huh and I said what no it's like well okay but I mean like you know that's yeah, like right, that's right, 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 right. you know that's a thing yeah. that existed that's you know like oh, okay right but like at, at a certain point uh, if you're just going to keep insisting that that's what somebody really secretly thinks then I, I guess I don't really know like what anybody's supposed to learn from that right like yeah. you can either engage with what people are actually saying or like choose to stop talking to them but like at a certain point those are your choices yeah <laughs> yeah definitely well yeah ben we we really appreciate you coming on we do have one last question that we've just been asking everyone on the podcast and you can say you don't have to answer if you don't want because it is stressful to we everyone. know you're going to try to dodge just, the question but we'll we'll we are we'll try to get it from you to dodge a question yeah but we're gonna okay. we're gonna try to get it from you yeah what do you think the election outcome is going to be coming up here? Uh, okay. If I had to put money down on it, I would say that Biden wins and he actually takes office in January, right? Like, I think that that's like mm. the most likely thing to happen. Like I said, if I had to bet, that's what I would bet. Also, I would not bet. <laughs> yeah right, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah like that's yeah, not a bet you want to have to make 
Um, no, exactly. Yeah. Like, we're all like, very nervous. We're all very nervous. Yeah, but it's, it's such a bizarre situation. Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, it was already a bizarre situation before Trump got COVID. It's it's mm-hmm. it's like even more bizarre now. Right. I mean, in so many ways, it's uncharted water. Waters like I mean, I don't I wouldn't want to like try to quantify the chances of like anything happening, really. Like like I, I um, you know, was was just you know, I've, I've been lining up guests for the next several episodes of, of my podcast and, and the person I'm talking to the week after the, um, the, the election, right? Like I, I, like the way I put it in the email was you want to come on and talk about whatever will have by that point have happened. Like, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 Whatever country we may or may not live in at that point. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, this has been really fun and it was definitely really cool to have you on. Cause like I said, we're, uh, we're fans of your podcast and uh, your book and um, all the work you do. We read your stuff. I've been reading your uh, article on Glenn Beck's book um, that you put oh, out nice. in the, yeah, yeah. In the current affairs magazine. Um, so I, I, I look forward to whatever else you put out. Awesome. All right. Wait, well, thank you. I appreciate it a lot. Thank you. Bye. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for coming. So yeah, thanks again to Ben Burgess, who has given me a little hope. He seemed, I mean, he wouldn't bet on it, but he seemed a little confident that Joe Biden would win, right? Yeah, I mean, confident enough without putting money on it. Yeah, exactly. That's, exactly. But I mean, as, as someone who's broke, I, I wouldn't put money on it either. <laughs> it's nice to hear a little bit of optimism. Um, yeah. Honestly, the whole coronavirus thing, I feel, has taken the wind out of Donald Trump's sails to some extent. I don't really see an angle on why he would fake this for the people who think it's it's not real right um but i feel like his campaign is kind of deflated by this whole thing and everything that's happening in the republican party so yeah i agree i'm optimistic for sure that's true um you know i i really appreciated ben burge's take on this episode um uh, some of the stuff he said about marxism actually debunked quite a things even for me um about like what my impression of what people who call themselves marxists believe um it it actually is way more consistent with like a democratic socialist vision in my view um at least the way ben burgess looks at it and and to me personally i don't really see any harm so to speak in like people calling themselves a marxist like your views are probably extremely consistent with mine and um and 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 to me like that really is our point like there's so much to go in with like what did Marx actually spend his life writing about? He wrote for decades. What was it about? He had like different topics that he would address. And the one that we talked about mostly was like his economic observations and kind of like sure. his way of like theorizing about what is capitalism. That's what we spent the most time on. And then, and then, but to go beyond that and to talk about, well, how do we achieve a society that would not have those problems, which is certainly something right. Marx wanted um, is, yeah. is uh up for debate and 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 what would Marx approve of i think that ben burgess made a really good point that i really appreciated which was like well there there might be stuff that marx would have liked that we don't owe any allegiance to this guy to be like well if marx wouldn't have wanted it then we shouldn't want it like that's ridiculous like let's take what we like about marx's observations and ideas and 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 what we still think is useful 200 years later or you know 150 years later and then and right. toss the rest it doesn't matter He's and i think that's that that's an important important thing that he brought up too is like you know 
Marks is a template, right? It's not a, it's not a Bible. So I think that there's, exactly. yeah, we're going to disagree with some things. He lived in a world without internet. I really appreciated when he was kind of talking about uh, the, the dictatorship of the proletariat mm-hmm. and just how different times were. It's like, well, yeah, like democracy as we know it now wasn't, <laughs> wasn't really working like that across the globe back then. So, you know, of course, like, you know, revolutionary takeover was a bit different. And, and yeah, like when he says dictatorship, it, it is more for the people. It's not literally about well, like yeah. Stalin. And- well, if your idea of dictatorship, which would be a fair one because it's how it normally comes up is one guy who literally has like all the power to command everything in society and no one questions him and everyone just follows his orders. And I say him, uh, obviously like a dick, female, like a dick. Um, has there been a female dictator? Well, I mean, there's certainly been female monarchs. So to the extent that those are, you know, similar. The queen of Aldovia from the Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> you keep bringing Aldovia up. I never want to hear about that again. Of course. The queen We're doing a whole episode on Aldovia. It's coming. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Moving on. Uh, we, <laughs> the idea of a dictator is one person being in control of everything is fundamentally the opposite of what Marx was advocating for. And, 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 and he would be equally critical of that society, if not more critical than of a capitalist society. So when someone says dictator of the proletariat, the proletariat is the working class. There can be no dictator of the proletariat where the dictator is one person who owns and controls everything. That is that is an oxymoron. So that when Marx said the phrase dictator of the proletariat, he's literally talking about dictatorship of the proletariat. He's talking about a society where the proletariat is in charge. That is a good thing. In theory, that's what our country is supposed to be. Yeah, and this is why where I think terms like democracy in the workplace are helpful because it, mm-hmm. it helps us to see like what that would actually look like for, um, you know, for the people in the workplace to have power. Right. Um, and Ben Ben was talking about um, cooperative um, type type structures in the workplace where people come together to make decisions jointly in a democratic process. That's how people throughout your organization can jointly share power in a democratic sense and you know, it, it kind of debunks this, this view of dictatorship when everybody's right. participating in it. Right. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It's this idea that like, we don't need one person to have all this power. And, and in fact, we could do things communally communism. Ah, right. Like Ooh. that's the idea is like, we want to build a cooperative economy, not a competitive one, not one that's right. based on, and, and there can be competition in a communist society. It's not necessarily exclusive. Like we talked about, you can still have a free market in a communist society. And I, I think like that tidbit especially is really important because I do think a lot of outsiders to even socialism think, you know, they, they think everything's the same in a grocery store. That's like what the right always says. Right. right. And like, and where, whereas he's pointing out, like that was a flaw of, of like the Soviet union even is like, well, who knows what's going to be in the fucking grocery store. It's like, we can design something that doesn't look like that in, you know, yeah. in the 21st century. And, and, and honestly though, how many fucking flavors of cocoa puffs do you need? Like, I mean, let's just get real for a second. Like, if if it's the choice to me, and I'm six at, is the answer, by the way. Six is the answer. I know that people are really reluctant. They're like, fuck off with my cocoa puffs. I love them. Like, don't you know, don't mess with it. I don't want to be forced to eat some generic brand. Whatever. Okay. True. <laughs> right. Like that is an advantage of a totally com- competitive based you know economy, but. On the other hand, if we had to make that trade-off, and I don't think we do, 
Um, if we did have to make the trade off of like having fewer brands of cereal, for example, like think about what we're trading it for. We're trading it for the elimination of poverty, right? Like right. don't be right. a dick. Stop being well, a dick. Well, and that's, like, that's, you know, um, and you know, we, we kind of talked about Amazon a little earlier. That's my favorite yeah. Twitter account online right now is what Jeff Bezos is doing. And literally the tweet every day is Jeff Bezos woke up and decided not to end world hunger every day. They just tweet that. And it's like, yeah, that's what that's he's a, doing. He has enough money and he's just, you know, no, and, and this is actually really interesting. Um, and someone fact checked me on this, but I believe um, what Jeff Bezos said is that he doesn't know what to do with his massive wealth other than um, uh, space exploration. That's it. He's like, well, it's the only thing that like, I can do with my money. You know, I have so much money. I don't want to waste it on what social programs or some shit. Like this is the problem that Marx was pointing out about capitalism is like, now you have people who got to this position where they have that much power, right? Like the, he has make no right. mistake about it. Money and having access to stuff like having control over production and having control over finances and all of that, that is power, right? You can think of it in two ways. Money gives you freedom. Money gives you power. They're kind of synonymous, two sides of the same coin. They let me control my own life, but they also give me power over other people's lives, right? Right. That's what all money the power really is. over outer space. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah. so he has I've got a quote power. for you, Steve. Go ahead. I've got a quote for you from, from Jeff Bezos. The only way that I can see to deploy this much financial resource is by converting my Amazon winnings into space travel. That is winnings. basically it. Winnings. Winnings, that's, winnings that's, right? He said I winnings. like I like that he said winnings because yes, when when you when you gamble with business like this and make that much money, it's fucking luck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. These right. aren't well, yeah, right, 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 right. you can't possibly do something to earn. Well, that, and that, that that's what money. it is. It's it, he's lucky that his exploitation worked out. Yeah. I mean, to, to get to that fucking level of where he's at. Yeah. Uh, and so like, and that's really the point. That's all Marxism is. Don't be, ah, Marxism. Oh my God. It's, it's literally just this, this theoretical framework of looking at capitalism saying, actually, we're, if all we're talking about is free market and voluntary decisions, we're missing like maybe the whole point of the system, which is that it's right. a system where maybe we, the government, instead of it, you know, kind of like centrally planning things where the government is now allowing like unelected people to run everything and have control over all the shit. And like right. they, and now again, like I, I said during the interview, you know, if you can't, if you don't have your own resources to start a business, you have to work for someone who does. But let's take that a step further. Let's say you do have your own resources to start a business and now we're in a competitive economy. Like the, the problem with competition is that someone eventually wins. Right. And so if you have a business and then there's someone else who has a business, a, a libertarian or a, a conservative would be like, great, this is, you know, this is how the system is supposed to work. We're supposed to have two businesses having two different, very similar brands of cereal, and they're going to continue to reduce prices and make it more accessible to everyone. The problem is like, eventually someone will win that, that battle. Right. And then oh, yeah. one of those people will then have to not be a business owner anymore and go work for someone else. Right. That's the, the right. ultimate end someone... game of this system is no, exploitation. I think that's very important in, in a system of capitalism where, especially how it is in America right now, exploitation is pretty much encouraged at this point. And when someone like Jeff Bezos wins, that means there's hundreds that lose, <laughs> including right. his workers, right? So I think that, that yeah, that's very telling to me. But yes, uh, get, getting back to like, like, you know, the whole Marxism idea, like, I do think it would take a shift in, in culture to some extent to get to where we need to be in America too, to 
for Americans, at least, I don't know about the rest of the world, but to kind of get into a society where, like you said, we don't need six cocoa puffs. I do think there's a cultural change that needs to happen where I think hopefully with COVID and things like that, we're realizing like, Hey, we can actually get by with a lot more minimum of, of shit than we think. Yeah. I don't know though, because then again, toilet paper was gone for like three weeks. So, yeah. But I mean, I, I, I think the bigger point, right? Like it's going to turn some people off. Like, no, I don't want to live in a society where there's less choice. Fine. I mean, if you think that's more important than eliminating poverty, then that's your choice. I agree with Decatur 1000% that we need to start having more conversations where we're not afraid to talk about things like Marxism, because what's really important that we do is, is start to identify the source of poverty. Like this, these little programs about like, let's like just fix things around the edges. Let's, you know, like the Joe Biden approach of like, everything is basically fine. Let's just fix a few things. It's like denying the actual real existence of so many people suffering under this current system. And that's bullshit. And we need to actually start having a really serious talk about like, not just how can we marginally improve their situation, but how can we like, that's like ultimately unsustainable to just be like, okay, capitalism is basically fine. We just need to improve a few people's conditions. Like, no, capitalism is actually a self-destructing uh, form of eco- economics and and political, you know, po- it's a self-destructing right. political economy because the people who are in charge of it are continuing to write the rules in favor of themselves to continue to make us start to be, you know, accepting a lower standard of living to continue to, you know, want to advocate for like lower minimum wage. There's this eternal battle that we we should stop. In fact, yeah. the mass of people need to take control over this shit and actually start talking about like, what are our actual priorities and how to create a system that isn't eternally in conflict with like really powerful people. And instead it is designed, but in its base level to prioritize our own prosperity. Right. I think that, you know, it's like the, the Marxist approach is actually like rebuilding the wall with the hole in it as far as to what like a Joe Biden is saying is let's just keep putting duct tape over it and we can't see it. And like, that's not really right. going to solve anything in the long term. And some people might say, don't fucking build a, a whole new wall out of some new material, if that makes any sense. But, you know, Marxists are going to no, try at least. I, I, would, I would probably use the analogy. I actually think about this all the time doing a criminal defense um, to the extent that like criminal justice is, I think, kind of a microcosm of this conversation is that like in public defense, I'm doing important work. I'm helping individuals, right, in their own specific issues. But I also at times feel like I'm just plugging holes in a sinking ship, right? I'm running around the Titanic trying to like find where the water is coming in through the sides and just like plug it up. But then it keeps bursting out in other places because the ship is sinking. Because that's a perfect analogy. Because you know what? Fucking capitalism is talking to Jack like I'll never let go. And everyone's just going to go down with fucking capitalism. <laughs> yeah, but the but this is a great analogy because there's actually enough room on that fucking floating door for everybody, including Jack. Yeah. He did not have to sink to the bottom. And that's the yeah. point of Karl Marx. And Blue Cross it Blue just, Shield is the goddamn iceberg that takes us all down because we couldn't have health care. <laughs> I have no doubt that everyone is now confused. So if you want a takeaway from this episode, the point is this. And I think Ben Burgess would agree 1000%, which is that Titanic is a communist movie. <laughs> yeah. No. Okay. Yeah. All right. We've Leonardo, lost the shark. Leonardo DiCaprio. We've lost the shark. I hope you got something out of this episode. I really enjoyed talking to Ben Burgess and hope to have him on for more conversations about like, okay, you know, Marxism or not, like how do we build this society where, you know, like we brought up a lot of issues we didn't really have answers for on this episode, but you know, we hope to continue this conversation, not just us, but the whole society should be having is like, well, yeah, how, how, for example, do we create an economy that is, you know, cooperative that we all are making sure we're taking care of each other, but we still 
make sure there's enough shit in the stores and you don't have to uh, fill out an application a week in advance to get a box of cereal or milk, right? Like there are benefits certainly to a a market-driven economy. And, and like Ben Burgess pointed out, not every socialist is even like making that a priority to get rid of the markets, right? right. In fact, maybe we could just have competition still, but we give workers control over it and we just get rid of the bosses. You know, we'll yeah. still have managers, you know, there's a lot of detail we didn't go into in this episode about like what- Well, yeah, and there's, listen, and there's, there's a thousand questions for Marxism yeah. that we're not gonna be able to answer within an hour, hour and a half. But I think the important thing is a lot of these, you know, self- describe Marxists and and people who are are sympathetic to the Marxist cause is really just looking at an angle like, listen, life as we know it isn't working and it doesn't have to suck this much. And that's really like what it comes down to. And it sounds simplistic, but that's really how we have to start looking at these things that are dirty words. I agree. It's like, it's not the, the, this is something I mentioned in the episode before. And I think it's even maybe more relevant now in a conversation about Marxism, the people who have been trying very hard, spending a lot of money and a lot of effort to demonize Marxism stand to benefit so much from us never thinking about it, right? Like the, the people in power want you to not think about this. I know I sound like a conspiracy theorist, but it is literally true that the, if you look at who is demonizing Marxism, it's the people who benefit on the system that currently exists. And to the extent that you personally are listening to this episode and you're like, I don't know, I'm still kind of worried about Marxism. I'm not a powerful person, but I, you know, I would, I would challenge you to think, is, do I believe that because I've been told some lie about what Marxism is because it benefits someone else for me to believe that? You know, that, right. that, that's kind of what we're getting at here. That's really all we were trying to do with this episode is show you it's actually not a scary thing at all. In fact, it's a mandatory thing in my view that everyone should start uh, thinking about like what's wrong with our current system. Right. So yeah, we, we hope you guys learned something. If not, send us an email and tell us we suck or and we'll send us an email, email and tell us we're great because mm-hmm. we, uh, you know, are two white cis males and we need a lot of affirmations in our lives. And, you know, I think that, you know, even if you want to just comment about how great of a job Pete's been doing, you know, just, just email <laughs> us, email us. Also, uh, just wrap up, subscribe to our Patreon guys. There's so much great content that is coming out there and, you guys should just do that just because you love us and feel bad for us that we have to work regular jobs. Yeah. We're going to be trying to be releasing recently been releasing episodes more often um, on the, on the actual podcast, but we're also releasing bonus content that we hope is actually valuable. And some of it I'd like to release it all on the main podcast, but it's like a different format. So if you want to hear like more of a loose structure, just free conversation about things like the election, like the, uh, you know, all of that stuff, like, yeah, get, jump on our Patreon. It doesn't cost much at all. Um, and it helps us keep this show going. Oh, yeah. It helps us keep the show going. And, and that's, that's really uh, a great thing because our voice is more important than every other podcast out there. And so it needs to keep going. So that's all I got for this week. Uh, closing thoughts, Pete. <laughs> We have more questions on Marxism or um, leftist rhetoric. Make sure you check out Ben Burgess's book. Yeah, which yeah, check out. uh, It's called "Give Them an Argument for the Give Them an Argument," and it's logic for the left, and it will help you see all the fucking dumbass fallacies and shit that the right wing uses. He also has another book that helps kind of break down some of Jordan Peterson's bullshit. Look at his articles on Jacobin or just YouTube the guy, because since he's more famous than us, you can't search super politics on YouTube and we pop up, but you can search Ben Burgess on YouTube and he will come up. 
Yeah. Yeah. And so that's a great point. I'll put the description in our episode description links to a bunch of Ben Burgess's stuff. Um, again, really, really, uh, to me, a very influential person has helped me in my understanding of leftism a lot, especially this year. Um, we've, uh, it's just invaluable, uh, um, voice in the left movement here. He's also, uh, I do believe a member of the DSA and an active participant in the Democratic Socialists of America. Um, all three of us are, as we mentioned. And uh, we also encourage everyone who does want to get more involved or learn more about it. Um, I'll put a, I'll put a uh, link in the episode description as well that'll get you into the, uh, the DSA universe. So I want you to check that out as well. So um, anyway, everybody, we, we hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll see you at the next one. So Definitely. thanks. All right, guys, without further ado, we love you and keep listening to us because um, yeah, because we need, we need you in our lives. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's take us out with a beat Decatur. One of Decatur's fresh beats. <laughs>